And if we want to summarize it, it's, it's three things, message, visuals, and delivery. So people need to be able to develop a compelling message. They also need to, we don't have to use slides all the time or any kind of visual support, but often we do in business. And when we do, we, I often see, Michelle, the typical death by PowerPoint with lots of text and bullet points. People can't read and listen at the same time. So welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Andrea. Andrea, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be here. Awesome. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. I'm a presentation coach. I'm the head of a company called Ideas on Stage UK. And Michelle, the reason why I'm so passionate about public speaking, the reason why I do what I do is because when I was a little kid growing up in Italy, I grew up in a family of very small business owners. My parents have always been running their own very small business together. They still do. And so as a kid, I saw their challenges because raising four kids while trying to run a business is not easy. But I also saw their spark and entrepreneurial mindset and proactive approach to life. And so that's why I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, to run my own thing. Now, I don't know about you, Michelle, but for me, in reality, that remained a dream for a long time because before doing what I do now, I tried many things. All of them failed, but it was useful because in that process, what I realized was that there are so many great ideas that fail, not because of the ideas themselves, but just because of the way we communicate them. And that's why then to cut it short, eventually I became a presentation coach. That's why my mission today is to stop great ideas from failing just because of the way they are presented. I used to love it. So my next question was going to be, how do you get into it? Obviously, you know that. So when it comes to the people you, that you're working with now, who would you say is either your favorite clientele or who's your ideal clientele? Who do you typically work with? entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders, and their teams as well. So it's either what we do one-to-one -one coaching for business owners and, and leaders who either have an important presentation coming up and they want to be 100% ready for that particular presentation, or even if they don't have that, that situation, they don't have a presentation coming up, but they simply want to improve their general presentation and public speaking skills because for them, presenting is an important part of what they do. So that's for one-to-one. -one. And then often these people, if you think about entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders, they have teams. And sometimes they want that team to, people in their team to improve, transform their presentation skills. And so we 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 work with their teams as well. Nice. So when you're working with a team, are you bringing them all together all at once and doing kind of group presentations amongst each other to be able to hone in on the messages? Do they already know what the message is? How does that all work? So it, it depends on the on the on the situation, but we have 
a method uh, in a company that we call presentation score, which means that you want to score when you give a presentation, like in football or, or soccer. I don't know, in Canada, do you say soccer or football like for the <laughs> European? Soccer. <laughs> soccer, yeah. <laughs> well, for it us... depends how long you've been here, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So for us, score stands for five principles, simple, clear, original, related to the audience and enjoyable. And these are the five key principles for powerful presentations. So when we work with teams, but it's the same when we work one-to-one -one with a client, we help them create, design, and deliver presentations that meet these five principles. So we work on the entire presentation process. And if we want to summarize it, it's, it's three things, message, visuals, and delivery. So people need to be able to develop a compelling message. They also need to, we don't have to use slides all the time or any kind of visual support, but often we do in business. And when we do, we, I often see, Michelle, the typical death by PowerPoint with lots of text and bullet points. People can't read and listen at the same time. So they also need to understand how to support and reinforce the message effectively from a visual perspective. And then... They have the message, they know how to illustrate it. They also need to be able to deliver the message in a way that's comfortable and convincing. So we, whether it's one-to-one -one or with groups, we work on these three key areas. And the reason why that's the case, Michelle, it's a bit like movies. If you think about when you watch a movie, a movie has the screenplay and that's the message of the movie, the content of the movie. A movie also has actors, and that covers the delivery side of things. And a movie also has often special effects. And if any of these three key elements is missing, you will not enjoy that movie. The same is true when we are presenting. If any of these three key elements is missing, message, visuals, or the way you deliver your message, then we are not going to achieve our objective. So just like a movie, when an actor comes in, the screenplay's already been decided. The visual effects, for the most part, have probably been decided. Like The plot's been decided. So when you're coming in and working with a team and you go, wow, this is all off. <laughs> this is, like You can deliver all you want to, but this is not going to work. How do you backtrack and get to the CEO or the decision makers and go, hey, your messaging isn't clear and it's not going to land no matter how well these guys deliver it? I'm glad that you asked this question because often a lot of people think that if we want to improve our presentation skills, it's all about delivery. Now, mm -hmm. delivery is important, but for me, it's 20%. 80% is your message. You need to have the ability to develop a compelling message. And then, Michelle, is, is part of the education that as, as, as a company, we need, to, we, need to, we need to do with our, with our network, with our audience, with our clients. And the, the number, when you say things are off, the number one thing, the number one issue or challenge I see from a message perspective is that whether we are aware of it or not, but when we are presenting, often our message is too complex or too technical. We think that we are communicating a simple message for the audience to understand. Often the experience from the audience's perspective is the opposite. It's confusing. I'll give you an example. And by the way, Michelle, yeah. this is the number one problem in communication. The the Heath brothers in their fantastic book, Made to Stick. I don't know whether you've read the book. Fantastic book. 
they talk about the course of knowledge being the main problem in communication. And they describe it in an excellent way. They talk about a Stanford University study where in 1990, a psychology student asked two groups of people to play a game. One group, the tappers, they had to tap out rhythms to famous songs on a table. So think about very famous songs like Happy Birthday to You, songs like that. But instead of singing the songs, they had to tap out the rhythm on a table. And then the other group, the listeners, so tappers and listeners, the listeners, they, they just had to try and guess the songs. Before the experiment started, the, the student asked the tappers to estimate how many songs they thought that the listeners would have guessed. And they estimated 50%. So they thought that the listeners would have guessed roughly 50% of the songs. Now, in reality, what happened was very different. Listeners only guessed two, successfully 2.5% of the songs. Massive difference. Why? Because if you are a tapper, you have knowledge that the listener doesn't have, the course of knowledge. If you are a tapper, you have the songs in your head. And so for you, you find it, for you, it's obvious, and you find it very hard to understand why the listeners can't guess them. But if you are a listener, you don't have that knowledge. You don't have the songs in your head. And so you do find it very hard. And this is the course of knowledge which means that once we know something, it's our inability to imagine, once we know something, our inability to imagine what it means not knowing it. And if you think about it, Michelle, it's not just a game, but it applies in many communication contexts. You see it between entrepreneurs and the clients. You see it between politicians and voters, between writers and readers between public speakers and the uh, and the audiences and this is the number one challenge i see the course of knowledge well and i think anybody that's ever played trades gets that <laughs> they do when it comes to i think even in reputation somebody walks into the room and they present themselves in a certain way. You look at me and you go, oh, okay. I'm going to make certain judgments based on your hair, your glasses, your shirt, <laughs> the, whether you're not, you're smiling or you're talking when you walk into a room, we're all going to make these basic assumptions. And when that tries to become translated, oftentimes because those, the messages aren't clear and that the emotions kind of take over. And also if the emotions aren't kind of in the right box if you want to put it that way then they can again be misinterpreted so oftentimes i find this especially with tech companies that they're as somebody's asking questions like oh okay so that means you need more information <laughs> so they give them more information and try overloading them and all of a sudden there's this tsunami of information coming over the wall and if they weren't the poor person listening wasn't confused to start with and <laughs> they end up lambasted by this so let's talk about that that messaging because I think it really is important. Is there a way to clarify it? Is there a way to kind of bounce those ideas off of people to go like, does this hit? Do you understand what I'm saying? How do I simplify it without dumbing it down and going, yeah, but that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're right. That that's another connected to the previous one, another very common challenge I see that 
So we need to be able to simplify a message. And, and the problem I see, Michelle, is that often, because we know so much about our subject, again, if, if we think about entrepreneurs, business owners, business leaders, so we're talking about people who are very good at what they do, they know their stuff, they have experience, expertise, we know so much about our subject. And also, we are so close to it, we are so passionate about it, that we think that everything is important. And so we think that we need to communicate everything. Isn't that true? But we, what we need to do is we need to try as much as possible and put ourselves in the audience's shoes. Because if everything is important, then nothing is important. If everything is important, then nothing is. For example, we worked with a client some time ago. His name is Luke Breton from, from France. Luke used to be one of the executive vice presidents at Orange, big company. It was a great presenter. And he always liked to say, I only remember one thing from a pitch or presentation. Just tell me what I need to know. No more. And I love that one thing. So here is something for our listeners. As you prepare your next presentation, what's your one thing? Think about your next presentation. What's your one thing? If you were to summarize the core idea behind your next presentation in one message, what would you say? And how would you say in maximum 70 words? That's it, 30 seconds. I can promise you, if you can communicate your message in that time, then you can communicate it longer. If not, your message isn't simple enough. And Michelle, I can give you, for our listeners, a practical framework for people to do that. Yeah. If they get stuck as they try to summarize the core idea behind the presentation, they can try and follow this framework. What? So what? What next? So the first thing, what? So what's the key thing? What's the key message? What's the one thing that their audience needs to remember, understand, take away? And that's important, but it's not enough. Another question, so what? Why should they care? Why is your message important and relevant to them, to your audience, not to you as the presenter? Tell them, tell them why they should care about it. And then what next? Okay, now that they care, now that they understand why this is important to them, what do you want them to do after your presentation? A presentation is not an opportunity for you to just share some information. That's not the objective. If your objective is simply to share some information, fine, but then there is no need to give a presentation. You can give them a document, you can send them an email, you can make a phone call. A presentation is because you want the audience to do something. So that's one, one practical framework for people to try and simplify their message. Think about your next presentation, try and summarize the core idea behind the presentation in maximum 70 words following this format. What? So what? What next? Love it. Well, and I think too, people <clears throat> are so afraid of selling that they don't realize that when they've done a presentation, people are excited about what you do. They want to know more. It's like, well, how, what do I research? How do I, if, even if it's not you that I'm following and I, you know, taking one step closer to you, 
send me to somebody else because now you've intrigued me and I want to build on my knowledge in this area. It's, um, it's almost self-serving, but it's almost kind of ignorant to your audience to say, Hey, I just got you all excited about this and now I'm going to leave you. See ya. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're right. A, a presentation, any presentation is a sales presentation. If if we if we really think about it, any presentation is a sales presentation. Even if you're not selling a product or a service, you may be selling an idea. You may want to sell the audience on the idea that whatever it is that you whatever it is that your message is. You may want to motivate your audience. You you may want to inspire them to take action. These are all sales presentations. And, and another thing you made me think about this, Michelle, that often. We try, that's another mistake I see, we try to sell the, the during a presentation, we try to sell the final thing way too early. So often a presentation, especially when you're presenting to a group maybe of either potential clients or people who down the line may be interested in what you have to offer, then if that's the first presentation, then perhaps the objective is not to sell them your core program, for example. The objective may be as simple as inviting them to express an interest in a follow-up conversation, one-to-one -one with you or with somebody with, on your team to understand if there is a fit between what they may be looking for and what you have to offer. And so if we treat it this way, then it becomes easier to to give that call to action. So it's not all, depending on what the context is, it's not always about selling the final thing. The objective of a presentation is to take the audience to the next step. And the next step depends on the context, of course. So even I find even if somebody is giving a presentation on what the annual numbers are for the company, the intention is still to say, hey, by the end of this conversation, I'm convinced that you'll have more confidence in the in the company and you'll be really excited about where we're going in this year. However, I find that if people say that at the beginning of it, all of a sudden they've set a bar for themselves. And it's like, so if I'm not excited and I'm not confident at the end of it, like, like you said I'm going to be, then I failed. So how do you introduce that concept of kind of what the intention of this presentation is, even if I'm just giving my employees the annual general <laughs> ledger um, and then and then selling that presentation. So how would I go about doing that? Yeah, so I liked what you what you said. Now at, at the beginning of a presentation, we need to we need to be able to capture the audience's attention. Now, there are many ways to do that. One way is very similar to to the paragraph you, you used. So you could start by saying, in this presentation, I'm going to cover three key points. And then you briefly tell them what you are going to tell them. You briefly tell them what the three key points are. So first, we're going to talk about this. Then we're going to look at this particular aspect, not using these words, of course. It depends on what the, what the topic is. And then we'll also be looking at this. So as you said, Michelle, by the end of this presentation, you'll have a very good understanding of... Again, whatever the the topic is, then that's that's a very simple way to grab the audience's attention. But then, of course, yes, you need to be able to continue and create a clear and engaging storyline. That's one of the other things we do with our clients. So, introduction is one thing. Then, what are your key messages? How can you 
support and reinforce your key messages by including the right mix of logic and emotion. Because in your audience, if you think about people's brains, we all have two parts if we want to simplify it. We have the logical part and the emotional part. You touch, you address, you satisfy the logical part of people's brain when you share facts and figures. And that's important, but it's not enough. Most presentations are 99% facts. And then if we are lucky, 1%, just 1% touches the emotional side of people's brain. And you do that with stories, examples, anecdotes. So that's that's one way to, another way to, it's not just the introduction, but you need to continue throughout the presentation. And then you need to know how to handle the Q&A. You need to be able to give a clear call to action if you want the audience to do something. You need to be able to, conclude with a clear punchline, making it very clear to your audience what was your point and why they should care about it. So to answer your question, this is about people's ability to craft a clear and engaging storyline, which is a presentation structure from the very beginning to the very end. I love it. So let's talk about the visuals, especially being on a podcast. <laughs> it's like the, the, I think you'll be able to articulate it well, is that I believe that people need to have audio, visual, kinesthetic, and abstract concepts because you don't really know who your audience is and how they integrate data inside their head. So to be able to do that and articulate it is a skill set that people, um, I think it makes them more powerful when they do focus on it. So how do you incorporate visuals as a key when somebody can't, say, see you? Okay, like in so, podcast. Right. So in that case, so if we're not talking about visuals in a standard situation where people can see you or can see your visuals, your slides, for example, then that's a different context. And what what you can do is you can use visuals if you want with your with your words, with your voice. You can paint a picture of of what you're talking about, describing what you're talking about. And that goes back to, for example, the use of communication devices like metaphors, analogies. That's one way to visualize your message, but simply from a message perspective, not from a slide design perspective, for example. So if we think about analogies, Michelle, analogies are super powerful in communication. An analogy is a comparison between two things. When you say this is a bit like that, that's an analogy where this is your idea, your concept, and and that is the comparison you want to make. A is a bit like B. Now, when you connect something that the audience is not yet familiar with, and that's your idea, when you connect that to something that the audience already knows and understands, that's how you visualize it. That's when learning happens. That's how they get it. And that's how they remember it. I I also have my podcast, Michelle, the Ideas on Stage podcast. And some time ago, I interviewed John Pollack. He used to be one of the one of the speech writers for Bill Clinton. And he's the author of a book, Shortcut, which is all about the power of analogies, not just in communication, but also in communication. He says that an analogy is a shortcut to, to help you get your message across in a more effective way. And he says that in any 
debate. Now, he's got a political background, but it's the same principle in many other contexts. He says that in any debate, the person who has the best analogy wins. So the best, especially if you need to communicate something which is technical, complex, or new to the audience, especially if you want to convince the audience about something, about the quality of your idea, then the best way to do that is to make that connection. Every time you connect something that the audience is not yet familiar with to something that they already know and understand, that's when the magic happens. And that's how also you visualize it, going back to your question. Nice. So if I were to say something like being able to get on other people's podcasts or to particularly have your own podcast is kind of like having a billboard out on a highway that you don't normally, you don't have your office there, you don't drive there, but the billboard's there. So now you're getting new traffic coming and seeing your message and your sign. It makes sense that you would have a podcast of your own. <laughs> exactly. Like and, and Michelle, the reason why that works is because say, for example, that you want to convince your, your potential clients or your clients that they should have a podcast. Now you could just use facts and figures about podcasting and everything, but you are just touching the logical part of people's brain. Something would be missing. When you make that connection, people will say subconsciously, okay, if this is true, so what you just told them about the billboard, and of course it is true by definition, if that's true, then what Michelle is telling me about the importance and the power of podcasting must also be true. And that's why analogies work so well. That is very cool. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients, somebody that kind of where they were at before and, and where they came to afterwards. Okay. So I love the, the Cinderella story. That's, by the way, that's another metaphor kind of, kind of thing. Now, I, the first one that comes to mind is a client called... Kate and Co. They are a marketing agency here in London in the UK. And they I had a conversation with the managing director, Tom, and he told me that his objective was to be more proactive from a business development perspective. Before that, they were mainly relying on referrals and introductions from existing clients. So they wanted to be more, more proactive. The challenge they had though was that in a typical page, he, the, the managing director and his leadership team would cover the, the strategic side of things, but then they would rely on a team of analysts to, to, to go into more detail when it, come, when it came to the marketing strategy, the potential things that they could have done with the clients. And the challenge for them was that by background, that team of analysts tended to be a little bit too detailed, too technical. What we were talking about before, the message was too complex. And so we worked together. There was a team workshop, a number of team workshops. And then by the end of it, and after some time, Tom told me that they the the success rates of the, the success rate of pitches, of their pitches and presentations went up by 40%. And, and the business targets were surpassed by 40% as well. So yeah, that's just, just the first example that, that, that came to mind. Right. Love it. Because I think there's a lot of times 
owners want their team to be able to articulate, be dynamic and do presentations, or I just don't have time to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Who's going to get up and do it. Everybody's going, I'm not going to do it. I don't know what you're talking about. This is not going to happen. So having a team that's afraid of getting out in public, obviously is one of the things not getting the results that they think they should be getting from uh, their sales presentations. What other struggles might somebody be having? And they're going, oh my God, Andrea, I need you so badly. Struggles. So we talked about finding finding difficult to simplify the message. Another big one, Michelle, is, and I want to stay on the message side of things, of or we could also talk about later, we could also talk about things connected more to the delivery side of things, but still from a message perspective, another big challenge is making your message relevant to the audience. So, right. and that's and that's the most important principle in communication. You may have a message which is simple for them to understand, but if it's not relevant to them and their needs, then it doesn't matter. I'll give you an, an example from one of our clients. We worked with a client, her name is Marie from Paris. Marie is an executive. She's an expert in leadership. And she was invited by an association in Finland to give a talk about leadership. And she was super excited. It was one of the first international speaking opportunities. So she prepared really well. She knew her message. She told us that she prepared 50 beautiful slides and also she practiced properly so she was ready to go she flew to finland the day before the conference then arrived there on the day half an hour before the audience because she wanted to make sure that she had time to set things up and when she was about to connect a laptop to the screen she realized that there was no screen so a little bit of panic she went and asked the organizers assuming and they would say, oh, sorry, Marie, now we are going to find a screen for you. But what they did instead was they started laughing. They started laughing. And so she says, why are you laughing? And they say, look, Marie, you want to show 50 slides, but actually you've been invited to give a talk to the association in Finland of blind people. Blind people. Now, Michelle, I know... It's an extreme example. It, it sounds like a bad joke, but it happened for real. You see, Marie was very well prepared, apart from one thing. She didn't know her audience. She didn't even take the time to translate the name of the association from Finnish to French, and she would have realized that perhaps there was no need to have 50 beautiful slides. So what does this mean for us? Going back to the other challenge that we talked about. If you want to make sure that your next presentation, or you should want to make sure that your next presentations are relevant to your audience, before you do anything else, before you think about PowerPoint, before you even think about what your objective is, before you even think about what you want to communicate, we need to start with the audience, which means that we need to take some time, even if it's just a few minutes, but we do need to take some time and ask ourselves some questions about, we call it the ABC of preparation. A, audience. B, burning needs. So who is the audience? Who are the key people in the audience? 
burning needs. What do they really need? What do they expect from your presentation? And then C stands for context. Some questions about the context. For example, is it one-to-one? -one? Is it one-to-many? If it's one-to-many, how many? Is it in person? Is it online? If it's online, what tool are you going to use? Now, don't get me wrong, Michelle. That doesn't mean that if we don't do that, then we can't create a great presentation. We can, but the risk, as it happened with Marie, is that we create a fantastic presentation, but for the wrong audience. Nice. I love that and all absolutely pertinent. And it's, as a speaker, it's the kind of bane of my existence. I want to be able to go into a room and just do my presentation going, I know my presentation, I'm going to do this. And then it bombs because it hasn't landed with that audience. So it, and as a speaker, it also means going in half an hour ahead of time and making sure that I'm talking to people and going and being able to, you know, on a dime, switch whatever I'm doing over to whatever's pertinent to them. Uh, it is definitely a skill set to be had and one that's paid off many, many times, I might add. This is, awesome. Michelle, this is, this is connected to the importance of preparation. So what, what you said, going, arriving 30 minutes before is one of the things that we can do from a preparation perspective. And you made me think of a video I watched some time ago where Kobe Bryant, NBA player, one of the best NBA players uh, ever. ever. <laughs> and he was answering some questions. And it was an interview. And one of the questions was, Kobe, how is it possible that every time I see you playing, you always look so confident? And he says, the only, he said to the interviewer, the only reason why you think I'm so confident is because when you see me doing certain things, I've done those things a thousand times before. And he said, confidence comes from preparation. That's why I mentioned preparation. And I agree with him. If you want to become a more confident presenter, it, confidence doesn't come from wishful thinking or innate self-belief. It doesn't come from natural talent. It comes from preparation, from familiarity. The more you do certain things, the more confident you become at doing those things. And it also comes from following a certain process, Michelle. So, which is, again, it, it it's so much more than just PowerPoint. A presentation is so much more than PowerPoint. The process is this. From understanding the audience to knowing how to identify your key messages to knowing how to create a clear storyline to knowing how to illustrate your storyline effectively, if that's useful, to also at the end, being able to make a good connection with the audience, your delivery skills. And you do that with your eye contact, body language, gestures, voice. There's a structured way of thinking about presenting. There's a process. And not following that process is often what creates discomfort when we are in front of an audience. It's also what often creates fear of public speaking. Absolutely. And people, whatever you do, practice in front of Andrea not in front of somebody who's paying you a paycheck. <laughs> so, do not practice in front of paying people. So I know our audience is going to want more from you. How did they start that journey with you? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Michelle. So a couple of things. Our website is ideasonstage.com. They can find me on LinkedIn. That's the main social media I use with my name. Maybe one thing that could be useful for people, we have a, a free online tool 
that people can take to very quickly assess their current presentation skills. It's called the Confident Presenter Scorecard. People can Google it, Confident Presenter Scorecard. And the way it works is you just answer a few questions and then it's free, less than three minutes. You get a score from zero to 100%. The scorecard tells you what that score means for you, and he also identifies opportunities for improvement. So that's that's another thing that people can check out. I love it. We will, of course, have all of Andrea's links in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down, click on the links, open them up in a new browser, of course, because we're not done yet. So you, you let a little bit of this story about your parents running an entrepreneurship, but how did you know, or at what point did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So on the one hand, Michelle, because I was raised in a family of very, very, very small entrepreneurs, then I always had that thing in my mind um, at, a, at, a very, at a very early age. But then, as I said, the reality was different because it did take me so I started, I worked for somebody else for about, so after my after university, I worked for somebody else in a sales role for about five, seven years. And, and then what happened for me was that at some point, I knew that, for example, I was going to, and I wanted to, to grow my family with my wife, and so I said, now or, or never. And I didn't want, because then, you know, when you have kids, it's it's hard to start a business. I, I thought they would, I think it is hard to start a business and you have a, a newborn in the family. So I said, okay, let's do it before that. And, and the main trigger for me was I didn't, or fear, if you want, I didn't want to leave. My fear was not starting a business, but my fear was I don't want to live with the regret of not trying. I didn't want to be at, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years old, looking back and say, oh, why didn't I try? So that that fear for me was stronger than the than the fear which exists. It existed for me, the, the fear of going away from my comfortable corporate role and starting your own business, starting my own business. I love it. You've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Last words? Yes. When we think about public speaking, presenting, communication, as Jeff Bezos says, focus on the things that don't change. Let me explain, Michelle. A lot of people now think about technology, artificial intelligence. And, and here is the thing. Jeff Bezos says, everybody asks me, what do you think is going to change in the next 10 years? And he says, nobody ever asked me, what do you think is not going to change in the next 10 years? And he thinks that the second question is much more useful because if you focus on the things that don't change, you will be successful. In the case of Amazon, for example, they know that 10 years from now, people will still want fast deliveries, small prices, and a vast selection. So if they focus on those things, they will be successful 10 years from now. When it comes to presenting, communication is the same thing. There are things that change and things that don't change. Things that change are technology, tools. 
The things that don't change are the fundamental principles of communication. I'll give you final example michelle and and then uh, and i'll stop say for example that you you michelle you give a great you give a presentation 10 years from now you give a presentation at a conference and then after that somebody comes to you somebody from the audience they come to you and they say michelle that was a great presentation i just wish that your message was not so simple for me to understand that will never happen or i just wish that your presentation structure was not so clear for me to follow or that your message was not so engaging or Michelle great talk I just wish that your message was not so relevant relevant to me and my needs that will never happen and it will never <laughs> happen because these are the fundamental principles of communication so these are my last message of course you do want to pay attention to what's going on with technology because if we do it well Technology can help you get your message across even better. But what really differentiates average communicators from top great communicators is whether or not they pay attention to the fundamental principles of communication. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you, Michelle. Awesome. Peeps, thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures, but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.